I'm excited to share that the Press One for Nick podcast is this year's media sponsor at the AMA Ignite Conference. I've been involved for four years already, and this conference is awesome because it focuses on customer experience from a marketing lens. I enjoy the speakers every year, and I always meet other like-minded professionals. The AMA Ignite Conference is taking place in person in Cincinnati on Friday, September 23rd, and the theme this year is the experience equation, customer experience plus Employee experience equals the total experience. If you're interested, the Press One for Nick listeners can get an additional 10% discount on the AMA Ignite Conference by using the promo code Press One for Nick when you register. To learn more and register, go to igniteama.com. That's igniteama.com. This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdahl, and my guest this week is Matt Dixon. Matt is the founding partner of DCM Insights. He is also an accomplished business researcher. He's a sought-after advisor in corporate leadership teams around the world on topics ranging from sales and marketing effectiveness to customer experience and customer service strategy. Matt is the author of the three Amazon and Wall Street Journal bestsellers, The Challenger Sale, The Effortless Experience, and The Challenger customer. He's also a frequent contributor of the Harvard Business Review with more than 20 print and online articles to his credit. And his latest book, The Jolt Effect, How High Performers Overcome Customer Indecision, was co-authored by Ten McKenna and will be released on September 20th of this year. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast, Matt. Thanks for having me. It was great. You bet. So one question I ask every single guest is, what's one thing people might not know about you? I suspect that one of the things that people don't know, I was uh, I was training to be a college professor before I ended up writing books on sales and customer experience and these kinds of things. And and how I got there is kind of an interesting path. But I I decided about maybe fifty one percent of the way through getting my PhD that I didn't want to be a college professor and I actually wanted to do kind of if you will for profit research for businesses about business issues like sales effectiveness, customer experience, customer service effectiveness. But it was too late to bail out. So I fell victim to the sunken cost fallacy, got my PhD. And I guess I always have that as a fallback. If I want to go teach political economy in college, like I can go do that at a later date. But so far, the the sales and customer experience research route seems to be working out. So I'm going to stick with it for now. <laughs> so. so you still had to do the research. You're I did. Still, you're still potentially writing books as if you would potentially as a professor. So yeah. that, that parallel is still there. Some of the expertise that you've put in, the work you put in has maybe uh, made you even a, a better a better Matt Dixon that you would have been as if you were a professor? Well, I like to think so. Or it might be a, yeah, my, I think my um, my mom never thought I was like a legit uh, PhD until I wrote some books and articles. So then now I think I feel like I've crossed that, <laughs> crossed that chasm with her. You're like, hey, mom, how many books do I need to write? Is, is Jolt good enough or should I, do I need to write another one? <laughs> Very cool. So let's talk about Jolt. And there's a whole lot of questions. Uh, it, it was a really good book. And I think there's a lot of knowledge that can be taken away, uh, both from the people that want to focus on on sales, but also just the indecision itself. 
Yeah. And so the first question I have for you is how far through that journey process, because it's no longer the days that people will call Matt Dixon and say, hey, tell me more about your product. They're right. now going through that journey and looking for yeah. videos or tutorials or a white paper. So how far through that buying journey now do customers make before they ever make it to that uh, that company? Yeah, you know, that was actually, I think, a, a problem, if you will, we wrote about uh, with the in the Challenger sale, which was really this idea of customers learning on their own. Uh, we found in our research that the average customer, so if you look at business customers, the B2B customers, they're almost 60% of the way through the learning journey or purchase journey before they ever reach out for a demo or ask for time with a salesperson or reach out to a vendor and say, hey, can we can we talk? In the consumer world, it's even farther down the path. So, you know, just think about like the last time you bought a car or a mobile phone or a laptop computer or any any number of expensive purchases that you're like, hey, I want to do a little bit of research, make sure I get this right. We're like 80, 90% down the path before we decide what to what to choose. So it's a and a lot of this is driven by the the amount of information out there, which we talk about in the jolt effect is one of those things that actually seems really great as a customer that there's so much information out there and we can do all of our own research, but it starts to actually work against our ability to make a decision because it's that fear of like the thing I didn't read, the, the review I didn't read, the the white paper I didn't um, uh, consume, the, the Gardner Magic Quadrant report I didn't go through, the webinar I didn't attend. Maybe that was the piece of content that would have you know laid bare all of the problems, all the pitfalls, all the things to avoid doing. And now I, I didn't do enough homework and homework, and now I I've got egg on my face, right? So, but that's of course only one source of indecision, uh, but it's a it's a big one uh, and something we write about uh, in the uh, in the new book. And when somebody does get egg on their face, it's the brand that they've built internally that yeah. are saying, man. I screwed up. If I screw up again and I have another, if I get more egg on my face, I'm probably either not going to get promoted or I'm gone out of this organization because of the risk that I am associated with. Yeah, that's right. And and look, if we were to, so, you know, this, the, the first book, the challenger sales about this problem of customers learning on their own. And what do the best salespeople do in a world where customers are learning on their own? What we, what we wrote about is that they bring the thing that the customer couldn't learn on their own. So they don't. They focus less on asking the customer what's keeping you up at night. They focus more on showing the customer what should be keeping them up at night. Now, this new book, uh, The Jolt Effect, is really about this, this problem of customer indecision. So what happens when the customer says, Nick, I'm, I'm sold. Like, I, I am convinced that the way we do things today, it's suboptimal. It's, you've created a burning platform. I'm jumping off. I'm, I'm abandoning ship. And you've showed me that your solution, your product, your service – is what we should I should buy because it's going to make all this problem go away. It's going to make things a lot better for for me. It could be if you're a consumer, for my family, for my finances. If you're a business leader, for our profitability, for our risk exposure, it's going to solve all these problems. I'm with you. I want to let's talk turkey. Let's start talking about a an agreement. And what often happens in sales is that between that point where the customer says they're on board, they start kind of talking themselves out of it. They start you know, they get cold feet, they start hemming and hawing, they they stop showing up for Zoom calls for demos, they start, you know, the time lag between their email responses gets longer and longer, and those responses get more curt and more curt as they go. And they start wringing their hands and wondering, like, am I actually making the right decision here? And what's so interesting is that in sales for, I would say forever, really, but at least for the past 40, 50 years, the conventional wisdom of sales has been that the only reason a customer gets cold feet after they've agreed to move forward with the purchase is because you haven't 
put their status quo to bed. You have not beaten their status quo. You haven't shown them that what they're doing today is is clearly suboptimal. You haven't created that burning platform. Maybe you haven't convinced them that your your product or service is a much more compelling alternative, or maybe they're not convinced that the change journey is worth it, right? It's going to be a lot of time and energy, and is it really worth it? And you haven't overcome that inaction inertia. So, but it's got to be one of those reasons. And so what happens is you get these customers who have cold feet and salespeople go around like with their beat the status quo hammer and they just like every indecisive customer looks like a nail. And what we found in the research is um, that more often than not, going back to try to create that burning platform, dial up the FUD, you know, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt, make the customer squirm a bit, show them the cost of their inaction, or to try to reconvince them of all the benefits of your product and your service and your solution, all that stuff actually ends up making the situation worse, not better. And that was a puzzling to us. In fact, we found it was an 84% probability that doing the thing that we've been taught to do for decades now actually will backfire, make it more likely the customer does nothing. And it wasn't it wasn't clear why until we we kind of started peeling apart the data a bit. And what we realized is we had to kind of ask a bigger question, which was what would motivate a customer to do nothing? And what we found is there's actually two discrete drivers of inaction. The first one is the one we're all familiar with, which is they they prefer their status quo. They think what they're doing today is good enough. They don't think your solution is a compelling enough reason to change. It's not a, a superior alternative, or it is superior, but not in a, in a demonstrably compelling way. Or, you know, we, again, they haven't, they haven't, been convinced that the change journey is worth it. So, but we've always been taught that again, if they get cold feet, it's because they're still wedded to their status quo. You got to beat beat on the status quo. You got to you got to put it to bed. But what we found is there's a second type of of no decision loss, and that's not preference for the status quo. That's actually indecision about how to change it or or whether to change it. And that those things might sound the the same, but let me explain to you how they're different. If you look at indecision, it turns out it's a function of three specific things. The first one is uh, what we call valuation problems. So this is a customer who's looking at a lot of options that the salesperson's put in front of them, and they're saying these all sound great, and they're afraid of choosing the wrong one. And if they choose the wrong one, that could become an irreversible decision. And again, they've got egg on their face because they picked option B, they should have picked option A. You know, they screwed up, and and that looks that that's bad for them. The second source of indecision is a lack of information. This is what we were talking about before, Nick. The the customer who feels like they haven't done enough homework, they haven't done enough research. And um, it's the next white paper they read that's going to lay, you know, lay bare all of the things they need to know before they make this big um, weighty decision. The third source of indecision is what we call outcome uncertainty. This is where the customer feels like they're not going to get what they're paying for. Not that you're not going to deliver the product or service. It's more that they won't achieve the benefits that you have described to them and the ones you've projected with your ROI calculation, the ones that have, that you used uh, or that your business case is predicated upon, right? When you went to the CFO's office and you asked for budget, those outcomes, you're signing up to deliver those outcomes. And it's the customer worried that I'm taking a leap of faith here. And what if this thing goes sideways? And if it goes sideways, we're, best case, I have egg on my face. Worst case, I could get fired for this, right? Uh, wasting the, and especially that becomes especially hard for these customers as we enter into uh, potentially an economic downturn, right? More scrutiny, more eyes on big decisions, more hemming and hawing, more consternation, that outcome uncertainty really starts to weigh on our customers. So those three things, I'm going to pick the wrong option. I haven't done enough homework. I might not get what I'm paying for. Those three things have nothing to do with the status quo. They're they're not about the status quo. And you could easily have a customer who says, Nick, I'm with you. What we do today stinks. I want to move forward with you. 
but which version of your solution? Have I done enough homework? And have you given me any guarantee of success that we're going to achieve these, mm -hmm. these outcomes that you've, you've painted for me? So it, that helps explain why when you go back and you treat every indecisive customer like a nail and you just beat them with your status quo hammer, those things can actually backfire when the customer's not actually wedded to their status quo. They're worried about something else. And what they're worried about, as you said before, Nick, is that personal fear of failure. I am going to look bad and I might put myself in jeopardy if I don't do all my due diligence and consume as much content as possible, do all my homework. If I choose the wrong thing from a bunch of, from among a bunch of options that look great. And if I don't negotiate with this vendor to get any kind of safety net, any assurance that this is all going to pay off. If I don't do those things, that's going to be bad for me. And so those are the things that turns out when we do the math, it's indecision about changing the status quo is actually the bigger driver of deals lost to no decision. It's not, preference for the status quo. Preference for the status quo is only about 44% of no decision losses. 56% of it of the time, the customer agrees the status quo stinks and they're ready to move forward, but instead they're struggling with one of those three fears of failure uh, that we just talked about. In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. Yeah, so the one of the ones that I want to touch on is they're they're pretending or they think that they have to be an expert themselves. They yeah. think that they have to consume all of this information. I have to look at all of this webinar. I have to look at the magic quadrant. I have to yep. making sure that I uncover every proverbial rock for yep. this to get my answer. And that's obviously not possible to to get consume everything out there and to decipher what truth is. Yep. So what can customers do? How do you prevent those customers from spinning their wheels and trying to, to get them to be experts themselves? Yeah, so uh, I'll say two things. Let me, I'll back up and just, uh, you know, one of the things I that we talk about in the research is, is this idea that salespeople, you've got to beat the status quo. If you don't show the customer that it's worth moving ahead mm -hmm. and, and changing what they do today, you're not selling anything. Yeah. So that it all starts there. But once we beat the status quo, the second thing we need to do is overcome their indecision, give instill the confidence or the sense that they can do this and they're making a great choice and they've done enough homework and we got your back. You're, you're, we're not going to leave you, um, you know, holding the bag. We've got your back. Things are not going to go sideways. You're going to look like a hero, not like, you know, not like a fool. And to do that, you know, beating the status quo is all about showing the customer the, um, if you will, dialing up the fear of not purchasing, but overcoming indecision is all about dialing down the fear of purchasing. Now, you hit on this one, uh, again, one of the three sources of indecisions, I haven't done enough research and I, I need to consume all this content, which is, of course, impossible, but it doesn't stop customers from wanting to try. And what we find is that average performing salespeople, when the customer asks for more and more content, they, they feed the beast, right? They give them more and more. And that looks good, right? Because those are activities I can check off in the CRM system. Oh, I set up another demo. Oh, I, I set up another reference call. Oh, I'm, I signed them up for this webinar. I sent them that white paper. It feels like the customer's making progress. They're, they're interested, right? They're serious. They're moving forward. And that's a good thing. But what we know is that if all we do is indulge those information requests, we actually 
help feed analysis paralysis on the part of the customer. And they start getting wrapped around the axle and end up, they end up doing nothing. But the salespeople who can actually limit the exploration uh, and get the customer to stop doing research and trust them to guide them to a good decision, those people sell way more than those salespeople who just indulge customers continuing information requests. Now, how do you do it? What you don't do is Jedi mind trick the customer, try to and say, you know, Nick, you don't, you don't need to read that Gardner Magic Quadrant. That's not the that's not the information you're looking for, right? <laughs> that stuff doesn't work in sales. So what do we have to do? Well, it's an it's an age old concept in sales, but um, what we need to do is um, position ourselves as a trusted advisor to the customer. Think about uh, Nick, if you were um, going to visit a a country you'd never been to before, a part of the world you'd never been to, taking your family on a vacation. And um, what you're really looking for is not to read all the content in the world to become an expert on that part of the, the that part of the world, that country, where to stay, what to do, what activities to do, what not to do, what to watch out for. You can't, right? There's too many posts on TripAdvisor. There's too many blogs. There's too much content. What you really are looking for is a travel agent. You're looking for somebody who's set up, may, been there themselves, set up many trips for other travelers who raved about the experience they've had and understands what you're looking for. And you can it, you can let yourself kind of relax and say, I don't need to consume all this information. I'm in good hands. Now, how does a salesperson do that? There's sort of two, two angles here. I think one is, again, this age-old concept of becoming a trusted advisor. On the one hand, we've got to instill trust. From the beginning of the sales process, the customer doesn't trust us because they know we have all the information and they have very little. We know which customers hate us. We know what stuff doesn't work in our product. We know the, the, the fact versus the fiction when we talk about the features and benefits. We know all the partner integrations that actually don't really pay off. We, again, we know where the bodies are buried. We know where the pitfalls are. We don't share a lot of that with the customer. And that's what the customer is worried about. They're worried about uh, the salesperson's incentivized to oversell me, to sell me stuff I don't need, and to hide the ball on potentially bad news. And so there are things we can do to create that trust with the customer. Tell them what not to buy. Encourage them to start small. Tell them the things that don't actually work out. You know, the, this partner integration, I know it sounds great. It's not really ready for prime time. And how about this one? Point out places where your competitors are actually better than you are on things the customer talks about. Hey, you know, Nick, if that's what you guys are really trying to solve for, I got to tell you, we are not the best in the market at that. In fact, our competitor is. I know people over there would be happy to introduce you. But what we specialize is on X, Y, and Z. They specialize on A, B, and C. And it sounds like you might be more interested in A, B, and C. Can you help me out there? Is that Am I misreading the situation? But that kind of candor, not trying to oversell the customer, really does help build that trust uh, with the customer. Now, once you've done that, how do you get them to trust you as an expert? Well, to do that, you got to be an expert, right? And, and the way great salespeople do this is they do their own demos, they don't bring the clown car of subject matter experts onto the call, the solutions engineer, the, the product people, the executive sponsors, the customer success managers. They don't overly rely on other people to do the job of selling. They do it themselves. And when they do bring in experts, they, they limit their role in the sales call because what they're trying to avoid is being delegated down to the person they sound like. And if your only value to the customer is that you're a glorified admin, that I can get the really smart people like Nick on the phone who can answer all your questions about the product, but I can't actually answer them. Well, if you're a customer being sold to by a salesperson that you don't think knows what they're talking about, you're going to do more research on your own, right? And then there's other things we can do as well. We can anticipate needs and objections. We can even introduce objections the customer hasn't articulated. You know, customers like you often ask this question. I know you haven't asked this yet, but I want to I want to share this with you in case it comes up in your discussions internally. Let's get that on the table. Let's talk about it. 
shows the customer that you sold this solution to customers just like them many times before. Again, they're they're dealing not with a salesperson, they're dealing with a buyer's agent, a travel agent who's guiding them to making a great decision. When I'm talking to that kind of person who I know is a good steward of my budget and my time, who's not trying to oversell me, not trying to hide the ball on bad news, perfectly candid, and I know that they know a lot more than I do about the decision I'm being asked to make, I don't need to do my own research. In that world, I trust you, Nick, to guide me to uh, to the finish line and help me make a great decision. I love it. You're you're dropping some knowledge bombs over here. I, I don't even know which ones to pick up yet, but um, the one thing that I haven't brought up and, and I think we need to touch on since sure. this is the name of the book is, is Jolt. So yeah. give these guys, give, give my listeners just a high level. What's the method of Jolt? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I mentioned this idea that we need two playbooks, beat the status quo, overcome indecision, overcoming yeah. indecisions about uh, dialing down the fear of purchasing. How do we do it? So a uh, Jolt is an acronym. It's actually four behaviors we distilled in the research that high performers use to get their customers from, I want this to, I bought this, from like intent to action, to get them to actually sign on the dotted line and get them from, you know, yeah, you beat the status quo, but you never got to a closed deal on that land of indecision. So what do they do? So they do four things. Uh, Jolt, again, it's an acronym. The J is they judge the level of indecision. This is all about trying to find something that customers don't talk about openly. Like every customer, no customer ever got a t-shirt printed up that says, I can't make decisions, right? They all think they're decisive. Yet the data shows very clearly that 87% of opportunities contain are with customers who have either moderate or high levels of indecision. So it's a little bit like carbon monoxide. Like you can't smell it, you can't taste it, you know it's out there and it's bad for you, but how do you find it? So you need a carbon monoxide detector. And we talk about using a, a combination of active listening and then also uh, this technique we call kind of pings and echoes. How do I articulate for my customer the fears, the, the sources of indecision I think they're struggling with and see if they'll verify that? Or if not, correct me, right? And so we get these fears on the table so we can talk about them and manage them. For a salesperson, that is invaluable because what it tells you is, um, how do I forecast this deal? Should I disqualify this deal? Is this a garbage truck that I shouldn't be spending time chasing? How do I actually, uh, what's my game plan to get the customer to make a decision, right? What's the depth of their indecision? Where's this coming from? Is this person personally indecisive? So that's the J, judging the level of indecision. The O, offering a recommendation. So, the, you know, look, it's great to put lots of options in front of your customer, but we know from Barry Schwartz's work in the paradox of choice, endless choice cuts both ways. It feels good early on, but it becomes a bad thing later on when we have to actually pick something. We have to decide what do we take out of our shopping cart? What are we not going to buy? Because when we do that, we're closing off doors and that doesn't feel great. And so what we found in the research is best salespeople will narrow up the consideration set and offer, guide the customer to a set of choices, all of which are good, and then put their personal seal approval on one of them to instill the, again, the, the sense of self-efficacy the customer has that I can do this. This is all, these are all great options. And this person is telling me this is the one I should pick. It's like going to a restaurant, you know, go think about like going to the Cheesecake Factory and all those endless options on the menu and having that waiter is like, you know, it, there's a big difference between somebody who says, Nick, you say, what should I order? What's good here? And they say, what are you in the mood for? Like not very helpful, but for that waiter who says, this is my favorite, but if you're in the mood for something lighter or you're uh, like a seafood fan, I really like this dish as well. Yeah. Narrowing up the consideration set. Now I feel like, this is awesome. I can forget everything else and I can pick something. L is limiting the exploration. We talked about that before, but fighting the customer's urge 
to do endless, endless amounts of research and become an expert themselves, which they will never be. Um, how do we do it? How do we become that trusted advisor, get them to stop spinning their wheels with endless research? The T, taking risk off the table. Remember, we talked about that outcome uncertainty. I might not get what I'm paying for. What are the things we can do, both formal and informal, to give that customer the sense that we got their back? You know, they're not jumping off a cliff without a safety net. We've got their back. They're not going to look like a fool. They're going to look like a hero. Here are the confidence givers we can provide that help the customer kind of settle down and realize this thing is not going to go sideways. You're not going to be called to answer for a really bad decision. You're going to look great. And here's how we're going to make that happen. So these things, the Jolt playbook, we like it because it's memorable, but it also speaks to what's happening here, right? Your customer's stuck in their indecision. We're trying to jolt them into action. So it's, it says what it does, if you will. With with Jolt specifically, with judging the indecision, that's yeah. what you mentioned is the first and most important step. Yeah. Um, why is that one uh, first and, and why is it most important? You know, I think, I think there's two uh, reasons. One is uh, what I talked about before, which is indecision we know in our analysis was on in moderate or high levels on 87% of the sales opportunities we studied. We studied two and a half million sales calls. That's um, it. Hundreds, yeah, right, so big data set. 87% of those calls were with customers displaying either moderate or high levels of indecision. So it's everywhere, but it typically goes undetected by the salesperson. So you need to be aware of it because if you don't, you're going to end up losing that deal potentially to no decision. And we found that 40 to 60% of all deals get lost to no decision. And so we want to avoid that as salespeople. So if there's this, this deadly carbon monoxide out there that is you know poison to our sales efforts, we got to learn how to detect it. So I think that's the first reason. I think the second reason is that, you know, salespeople are very reluctant to stop spending time on an opportunity. Unless that customer has said no, they feel like hope springs eternal. They they feel that way because their livelihoods depend on it, right? If I, if I stop spending time on this opportunity, that might be a deal I don't close and I don't hit my number, I don't get paid my bonus, I don't go to Cancun, all these things. But also... Um, it's because of who they are, right? They they love, you know, fighting the good fight. They love being the underdog. They love taking that deal that seemed like it was like on de at death's door and, and resuscitating it and closing it. They just love that moment. And for the average performer, if they haven't been told no, then their view is like, well, the customer might say yes. But there's this old adage in sales, which is, again, high performers don't chase garbage trucks. They know that time is their scarcest resource. And so they ruthlessly qualify and disqualify opportunities. And what we found in the research is they qualify and disqualify not just on the customer's ability to buy. So things like, do they have budget? Is it a good fit for our product and service? Do we have other reference customers in their industry, success stories we can point to, case studies, et cetera. So not just on their ability to buy, but also on their ability to decide. So they're doing much deeper levels of qualification and disqualification um, than we ever realized before. Um, and the average salesperson is not doing this stuff. And again, it's it's a real head fake when you get a customer who is seems like they're making progress, right? We went from the demo, we did the team build, you know, we built consensus across the buying committee. We're now in with legal. We're talking to procurement. You know, we're doing we're in infosec. We're moving the the uh, the deal down the pipeline, but or down the funnel. But that customer is still struggling with sources of indecision, which you're going to realize in the eleventh hour lead to no decision, and then they start ghosting you. And, and that is a sign that there was indecision lurking that you could have detected and done something about earlier on. 
Yeah, I like the carbon monoxide analogy too. I, I can see the the Jolt logo across the carbon monoxide. I think that should be a a, a, a stress ball that uh, looks like a carbon monoxide. I think that you got to be sending that out here shortly. But you know what we've talked about prior too is there's a lot of traditional salespeople that are saying this is the way that's always done. I've I've been in sales for thirty years and I've made this and look at my look yeah. at my NASCAR deck of all the things that I've sold. So when you bring up this Jolt effect. Yeah. Uh, how, what type of nerve is that hitting them? And they're like, well, I'm not going to do that. That's just another way to do business. Yeah. Uh, wh- how, what, what kind of rebuttal do you have to these guys? So I, I think, you know, one of the things I've seen, you know, early on, I've been out there doing some, some podcasts. We, we wrote an article in HBR that kind of previewed some of the findings and the research. Um, and some of the responses have been, well, isn't, isn't um, staying with the status quo, choosing to do nothing is a decision. Right. So it's not indecision. It actually is a decision. And I think what's really important to realize is there certainly are losses where the customer decides what I'm doing today is fine. What you are talking about is not a superior alternative or the journey is not worth it. And those are actually decisions to stick with the status quo. And as I said before, we lose a lot of deals uh, to the status quo. And so the last piece of guidance we would provide to salespeople is don't worry about that. The status quo is a powerful enemy. We've got to defeat it uh, if we want to sell anything. But what you have to realize is that indecision is by definition not a decision. These are customers who are still thinking about it, right? We in in two and a half million sales calls, we identified hundreds of thousands of phrases, utterances, and things customers say. The one that was most correlated with lost deals was I need to think about it. That is the kiss of death for a salesperson. And the salesperson would much rather, they should much prefer to be told no than to be told, I need to think about it. Because the customer needs to think about it as a customer you continue to pursue. But they're wrapped around the axle with one of those sources of indecision. They have not decided to be indecisive. They can't make a decision. They can't make forward progress. And so I think it's really important for us to understand that um, the customer, when they make no decision, some of that is a decision. I made no decision because I preferred the status quo. And you didn't demonstrate that I should leave my status quo. Fine. That is a problem. We've got to put that to bed. But it's only 44% of our deals lost to no decision or to inaction. 56% of the time, they're not making a decision because they can't make a decision because they're afraid of picking the wrong thing. They're afraid they haven't done enough homework or they're afraid they've been given no assurance of success from you, the salesperson. It's such great advice. The one question I, I loved, and I'm going to ask it to you now, what which is also in the book, and I'm purposely not making this a, a really long podcast so that other people get us a glimpse of what you can provide. But uh, one of the questions is, is how are sellers supposed to fight an enemy that's never been taught to recognize and has never yeah. been equipped to defeat? And I love that question because it's so it's so powerful because they've always been, nobody grew up in, in saying, well, most people, uh, where you're saying, hey, at the I graduated high school, I'm going to get into sales, I'm going to college, right. and I'm going to get an undergrad in sales. Like yeah. you you just got taught by the, the person who hired you and they're like, hey, do this, it worked for me. And yeah. I've been in business for 20 years. And you're like, okay, so yeah. what? What's your, what's your answer to that? You know, I think a lot of what's characterized our research over the years, whether it's challenger sale, challenger customer, the new book, The Jolt Effect, is following what we call kind of the lead steer effect in sales. And what we, I think what we know is that when there are obstacles out there in the buying environment, when customers are changing the way they buy. So think about the, the the topic we started the conversation with, customers out there learning on their own. If you want to know what to do in the face of that, 
what you do is you look at and you study with data what the very best salespeople are doing now because they're like this you know the lead steers in the front of the pack spotting the obstacles adapting their where they're going left right straight and everyone else follows right so there's this and this has been true for for decades neil rackham wrote about this in spin selling you know when when companies were shifting from selling simple products to selling more complex solutions Neil and his team went out there to document what did the best solution salespeople figure out about how to sell these more complex, disruptive, all-encompassing solutions, these products wrapped in layers of service that are expensive and they're risky and disruptive for the customer. What's different about selling stuff like that? And nobody had written a book on that. Nobody had ever had a point of view on that until Neil went and studied and said, oh, the best salespeople have figured out there's a big difference between selling products and selling solutions. Here's what's different about that. Challenger, this was a story about like, what do we do when customers are learning on their own? What we do is we bring the thing they couldn't learn on their own. We challenge their thinking. We push their thinking. We don't ask them what's keeping you up at night. We show them what should be keeping you up at night. That was the story of that book. And, and I think this problem of no decision losses has been getting worse and worse and worse. And I think in the next couple of years with a downturn, it's going to get amped up to even higher levels. This is a huge problem for salespeople. If you're a salesperson listening to the show, if you're a sales leader or a business leader, think about how much time is wasted when 40 to 60% of all the opportunities you pursue are, are lost to no decision. Now, these are opportunities where you go through the entire sales process. And it often takes you way longer to figure out the deal's not going to close than you should have figured out. And it, think about the customer's time and how much they're wasting their own time, their own team investing in a process that ends up leading to nothing. If we could simply figure out a way to extract some wins from that 40 to 60% of deals lost to no decision, we would all be what better off. This is a tide that will lift all boats. We don't need to generate more leads. We don't need to do more marketing. We don't need to invest in demand gen. All that opportunity is sitting right in our pipelines right now. And so I think that this is a, when we, when we want to understand how to solve for this, what do we do? We go out and figure out what if the best salespeople learned on their own. And what they learned was you've got to jolt the customer into action. They figured they wouldn't have called it that, but they were doing these things, judging indecision, offering recommendations, limiting the exploration, de-risking uh, the sale or taking risk off the table. And by doing that, they got these indecisive customers to actually make progress and actually make a decision, even if that decision is no, right? And that is why high performers lose far less frequently to no decision, because these are the things that they do. Again, we didn't invent these things. We, we studied them with data and we gave a framework and language to it so that we can help everyone else learn from what the best salespeople have figured out on their own. Yeah. And when it comes to the salesperson, you, you mentioned that their most valuable resource is their time. Yeah. And I would argue that the same is true with their, their potential client is Absolutely. They are, they're going over there and they're spinning their wheels over and over and over again about all those product and service and demos. Like it's, they're spending, depending on the complexity or the size of the sale, uh, months, if not up to a year to try to figure out which is the right product. Yeah. And do I, do I trust this person enough to make this sale? Yeah. And, and you know, it can really backfire too. If you have a customer who spends a lot of their team's time and their time going through a process where they feel like I haven't been guided to making a great decision. I've just been kind of left on my own. Yeah. Right. But again, think about like if every time you go to the a restaurant and you ask for a recommendation and all they say is, well, Nick, what are you in the mood for? And, or what do you like to eat? It's not very helpful. Like that, you're not going to ask that anybody at that restaurant. You may not go back to that restaurant because you feel like it's all on you 
and you made a bad choice and you didn't have a great experience and you kind of blame the restaurant for that and you blame the weight the weight person for that right and by the same token that salesperson who consumes six nine 12 months of their time and their team's time evaluating a solution and then feels like i didn't make any forward progress here i was i left it confused at a higher level but i don't feel like i don't feel any confidence in how to move forward part of the blame for that goes back to the salesperson and the vendor that's not a salesperson or vendor that customer is ever going to want to do business with again. Right. If they have more questions than answers, that becomes an issue. Yeah. This is great. Uh, and I could continue this journey, but you know, I'm going to close this out with two more questions. And the first question is, is what, what book or person, a customer service or a customer experience has influenced you the most in the last year? You know, I, I think a lot, so we've done a lot of, um, in writing the jolt effect, you, we did a, we consumed about 30 or 40 years of like human psychology and behavioral economics and cognitive uh, psychology stuff I wouldn't li- wish on any of your listeners but <laughs> we tried to summarize a lot of what we found and one of the the, the folks who had obviously read some of his work in the past but went back to his earlier academic papers uh is Daniel Kahneman and and Amos Tversky who was uh, Kahneman's collaborator for many years before he passed away and of course Kahneman is well known for prospect theory the idea of loss aversion won the Nobel Prize for that uh, he wrote the book Thinking Fast and Slow, which I think is a great read for folks who are in sales, but also just for business leaders in general. You know, a lot of what we're talking about here, Nick, these are not sales things or customer experience things. These are human things, right? Why do people struggle to make decisions? Whether that's ordering something in a restaurant, picking a piece of you know, a pair of jeans from amongst a rack of like all kinds of washes and colors and fits and options, or it's buying a really uh, expensive, complex piece of software for your business. We we become indecisive for all the same reasons. And so I think a lot of what we learned and a lot of what explains the the, the insights that came out of the research um, is rooted in human psychology that predates us and was written and produced by people way smarter than we are. So we, we kind of stood on the shoulders of giants here writing this book. And so Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow, I think is a great book that, that I would encourage all of your listeners to check out because it's just very revealing in terms of... Um, you know, why we do the things we do as, as human being and how human beings and how we're wired. That's great. I'll have to, I've read it once, but uh, it's a good reminder to go back and, and uh, listen to that one again. The last one I have for you is if you could leave a note to all customer service professionals yeah. and or customer experience professionals, I'll leave them both option. And it's going to hit everybody's desk Monday at 8 a.m. What would it say? So, um, you know, there's a, it, just in keeping with this, this theme of, uh, we're talking about the jolt effect, I think for customer experience leaders and customer service leaders, oftentimes the sales experience isn't considered as part of the broader customer experience. And and I think this is where a lot of customer loyalty like is built or destroyed. And what will often happen is you might get your customer to make a decision. You might actually kind of drag them across the finish line and get ink on a contract, but then you hand them over to your customer success team, your implementation team, the customer support team, the customer service team, and in the customer experience team. And that is a customer who might, their indecision might not have been fully dealt with and managed by the salesperson. And they show up at our doorstep, uh, re, uh, if you will, doubting the decision they've made, wanting to recant that decision, wanting to backtrack, wanting to get out of the contract. That becomes a really hard customer for the rest of the organization to deliver value to. Yeah. And a lot of the seeds of that, um, that attrition, that churn, that negative experience, a lot of that is actually planted much earlier in the sales experience. And oftentimes a function of salespeople who just kind of 
you know, pound on that customer and drag them across the finish line and manage to get ink on a contract, but the customer doesn't feel like they've made a great decision and they're immediately second guessing it and they're looking for how do I get out of this? That, again, that creates massive headaches down the down the road for the rest of the organization, especially in customer success, customer support, and customer experience. So listen, you got to sit down with your, your sales um, leaders and talk about the sales experience and think about how do we get our customers feeling like they're making an awesome decision and they can't wait to get started and they can't wait to move forward. What do we need to do to, to create that kind of experience in sales so that they show up in our doorstep they're not looking at how to get out of the contract. They're looking at how to buy more of what we do, right? And how to expand and grow from there because that's the kind of customer that we want to uh, that we want to have as part of our customer base. I'm so glad you said that about focusing on the sales experience because a lot of times it's that handoff yeah. and they wash their hands and they're saying, hey, I'm getting paid on this deal if it's for the first year or for that one-time implementation cost or whatever that a product or service is. And then they they hand it off to customer success. Yeah. And then you never hear from that salesperson again because they're no longer measured on the success of that customer. Yeah. They could leave in one year, come back in year three and still get paid on that opportunity. Yeah. And, and they're like, okay, great. Well, welcome back. And you're like, well, <laughs> did you actually add value to me the yeah. first time? Should exactly. I stick with you guys a second? Yeah. So great stuff. Um, For my listeners, if they want to learn more about Matt Dixon if they want to uh, buy buy books or all the yeah. books that your mom mom are proud of um, <laughs> where do where do we find these yeah I would I would say if you want to learn more about um, the work that we're doing I would come visit us at um, DCM insights um, dcminsights.com um, or if you want to learn more about the jolt effect and uh, get some free resources some free content and also learn about hey if you manage a sales team, you work with a sales team, how do we bring some of these jolt skills and start getting our salespeople uh, more equipped to overcome indecision? Um, there's a whole bunch of content we've we put out there that you can subscribe to and get access to uh, at jolteffect.com. So come visit us there and learn much more about the expanded universe of uh, the jolt effect. That's awesome. Thanks so much for your time. It's been a blast and uh, best of luck on September 20th with the success that you plan to have. Thank you, Nick. Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to pressonefornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.